0: Hi everyone, welcome to the We Shape Podcast. I'm Katie. I'm here with Nina and Tyler. Hi, everybody. Another week, another podcast. Are you guys ready?
1: Yeah. I'm excited for this one.
0: This is one of my this I'm is gonna really be one of my, my favorite ones. One.
1: Yeah. 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 Do you want to like do the bio or do you want to tee up like a little context?
0: I- I'm gonna tee up some <laughs> context.
1: Yeah, I'd love to tee up some yeah. context too. Let's um go.
0: okay, uh, so our guest today is Chris Cresser. Um, I don't Tyler and I are gonna have an argument over who's the biggest fan. And and I'm going to win for I was joking with Chris before this that like this is legitimate. It's actually not a joke. But for like the last 10 or 12 years, if any health question or anything has come up in my mind, I Google the question and then I put Chris (laughs) Cresser and then I look for some article that he's researched and written. And most of the time, most of my topics are covered. So Um, but anyway, he is a wealth of knowledge and we have a mutual friend. Um, can I, I can I share the story? Okay, okay, sure, They're already arguing over yeah. who's got okay.
1: yeah. yeah. whole space here. <laughs> no, so um, yeah, we both were introduced to Chris a long time ago, t- 10, 12 years ago. Um, in terms of just like his podcast and his work he was doing within the, the kind of the paleo community and the ancestral health community at the time, and um, uh, it was a I took a lot of information from Chris. Was always a big fan. He was such a wealth of knowledge around this stuff, and um, and then you know years had passed. Um. And I had like a, it was like a little health issue thing that I was kind of trying to face. And I was like, I need to find somebody who's like an amazing functional health doc. And we were talking to a mutual friend, um, Katie Wells, the wellness mama. And she's like, I can connect you with Chris. Like he does blood work and stuff for us. I was like, oh my God, that'd be amazing. So she connected us with Chris. And we actually started working with Chris at his private practice for I think a year or two um, before he ended up um, closing the private practice and going full-time teaching um, uh, practitioners. And uh, and then also, um, at one point in my life, I was recognizing how much my impulsivity and my brain and my craziness was just going, just going wild. I was like, who is the most chill person I know? <laughs> and I thought of Chris for some reason in that moment. I was like, he's just so Apparently, mellow. Chris
0: is just the answer he's to
1: all so oh, the questions. And- Google is canceled? Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and so I pinged Chris and I'm like, how are
2: you so fucking chill? Right? <laughs> Clearly, he's so much chiller yeah, now, by yeah, the way. <laughs> exactly.
1: No, it is true. But yeah. um, anyways, so Scary. I was like, I was like, what, what, how would you go about learning how to practice like mindfulness or Zen? And he connected with me, a guy named Forrest. And I'm so grateful for that because Forrest has ended up being one of my close friends. And, um, and uh, you know, we ended up going to Forrest's birthday. So that's where we tee up maybe the conversation. A oh, bit. Yeah. yeah. So
0: we were at Forrest's birthday and then Chris was there and I was like, oh, hey, Chris, great to see you. We started talking about some health stuff and then he was really sharing his like kind of a newer lens that he was looking through um, in terms of wellness. And I was like so fascinated and I feel like there's a lot of alignment with some of the work that we're doing here. And so I don't want to banter anymore. I want to just like. Introduce yeah,
1: that's all, we, that's all the time I got today for the <laughs> podcast, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Yeah. So. Um, so let's get started. Nina's going to read his bio and then we're just going to jump right in because I feel like we're going to have such a, a a meaningful conversation around uh, maybe a different lens that we can look through in terms of wellness. So, yeah, Nina, you want to? Absolutely. So I'm super excited
2: to have Chris with us as well. I am a new fan of his, so I, I'm like learning from you we guys. We have been, excited. Heard. We've been listening. Oh, I know who he is, yeah, absolutely, yeah. but I'm I'm not quite the stand level that <laughs> these guys are, but I'm ready to be that in that place. All right, so we have Chris with us. He is a globally renowned expert, clinician, and educator in the fields of functional medicine and ancestral health, and the New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Cure and Unconventional Medicine. He was named one of the 100 Most Influential People in Health and Fitness by Greatest.com and has appeared as a featured guest on Dr. Oz, Time, The Atlantic, NPR, Fox & Friends, and other national media outlets. Chris recently launched Adapt Naturals, a supplement line designed to add back in what the modern world has crowded out and help people feel and perform their best. Chris Chris co-founded and co-directed the California Center of Functional Medicine, one of the largest functional medicine clinics on the West Coast. Throughout his 15-year career, he has helped hundreds of patients reverse chronic diseases and recover their health and vitality. With that, welcome Chris. Hi, hey, Chris. Thanks,
1: guys. Pleasure to be here. We won't tell the listeners that you begged us to not read the bio.
2: <laughs> He's like, please, no. <laughs>
1: they're so they're so boring sometimes.
2: <laughs> it was a
0: good one. Well, let's get started, Chris. I You have, it's like, I think the reason I'm so interested in this conversation is to know somebody who has such a wealth of information around um, how to go about wellness in our diet uh, through nutrition, through exercise, through
1: biologically, yeah, right. I
0: mean, you just have you're such a uh, you're such a researcher, right? You're such a I love that you just get the facts. Um, but when we were talking at that birthday party, I was just really, um, curious about sort of a recent shift in perception. Not that you obviously have thrown your old understanding and knowledge out, but you've sort of, it sounded like to me, like you had added in a new lens or a, a, another layer of perception. So I'm just curious if you can share, I don't know where you want to even start with that, but, um, if we can just somehow start there.
1: Sure. Sure.
3: Well, for me, it always starts with my own experience. I mean, that's how I got into this work in the first place. I, got, I had a really serious debilitating illness in my 20s as a result of a tropical illness that I contracted when I was traveling around the world and surfing in Indonesia. That's actually what led me into a career in functional medicine in the first place. I was I was not heading in that direction prior to getting sick. And every step that I've taken along my career path has has just been born from my own experience. So this most recent evolution, I guess you could call it, just came from me reflecting on what has been most important on my own health journey. And then also what I've witnessed in being able to support hundreds of patients on their health journey and also training now uh, over 2,000 healthcare practitioners, doctors, nurse practitioners, health coaches, Variety of different uh, backgrounds, but and hearing their stories of what's been important in their practices and what they've learned in guiding and supporting patients. And the the gist is, we all know that a, a healthy diet, getting enough sleep, getting enough exercise, spending time outdoors, all of these things are important to our health and well being. But there's more to it than that, right? Um, what I started to notice is that I had patients who were doing a lot of those things well, but they were still unhappy. Uh, they still didn't look at their life and, and, and feel like it was where, where they wanted it to be. And they didn't feel like they were healthy. Uh, if we use a broader definition of that term, Um uh, and then when I looked at my own experience, I also realized that there were many times in my life where vision had... still symptoms. My, my, my physical health may not have been exactly where I wanted it to be, but I felt like I was thriving. And in our culture, we tend to define health as merely the absence of symptoms or disease. And what, I, what I'm trying to do is shift that definition to to something broader. Um, I don't have actually yet a perfect definition in in one line, but I think one of the definitions I've heard that comes the closest is from Moshe Feldenkrais, who's uh, the founder of the Feldenkrais Method. Some people are familiar with that. Um, he defined health as the ability to live your dreams. Hmm. So that's a really much broader and more inclusive definition because it it, it, it could include someone who maybe isn't 100 percent symptom free maybe they still have some issues that bother them maybe they have an autoimmune condition that's never going to fully go away and they always have to be a little bit careful and they will sometimes have flare-ups you know if stress gets the better of them or you know they're traveling or something like that but they're thriving. They they love their work. They're doing meaningful work. They have a great family life. They have great relationships. They're contributing to their community. They they have fun. They play music or have a hobby that they really love. They have an incredible, rich, meaningful life. I would call that person healthy. You know, they're they are living their dreams. They're, they're living a life that, is, by by any way of measuring it, is a great life. And yet you know, they may have some uh, physical symptoms or even mental symptoms that are occasionally challenging or difficult. And in fact, if you look at people who are very accomplished in any field, whether it's, you know, music, uh, actors, high-performing athletes, entrepreneurs, and whether we're talking about people, contemporary people in our time or people historically, famous scientists, notable figures that we've all loved, when I studied the lives of these people, I I read a lot of biographies, and it's kind of one of my ways of, of learning. Almost without exception, these folks had some significant challenge in their life, whether it was a mental health challenge or a physical health challenge. And I came to understand that they were successful, not despite of that challenge but almost because of it Mm. wow and so it it just i started to occur to me that maybe we're not thinking about health in the right way and maybe our current myopic obsession with becoming symptom free and 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 assuming that we can be happy we'll be happy we'll, we'll finally arrive at the life we want once we get rid of all of our symptoms is Um, not really the best way to look at it.
0: So what I hear you saying is this idea that like maybe our culture has uh, presented, quote unquote, someone being healthy as like a checklist. (laughs) Because that's how I started to feel like if you just check all these boxes, everything will be great. And we're really missing like a huge component, maybe energetically around someone's like attitude about that. And so it, I think a lot about. Um, I sometimes I talk about my uh, my dad on this podcast because he's such a. I don't know how to describe pops, but he's just grounded. He he just has the ability to have a really amazing attitude, regardless of what's going on around him.
1: Okay, so like a quick example is at a, a funeral we went to, pops walks up to the casket and goes, "What a gorgeous casket! Look at all this fine woodwork right here. Isn't that wonderful?"
0: And I and I and I started and he doesn't, you know, and I started to realize throughout my life as certain circumstances would pop up, I often would ask myself, like, what would Pops' perception of this situation be? Because there's infinite ways that we can hold energy around various things, but what is the way that's actually gonna serve us? And so what I hear you saying is that we've maybe missed this component and that health is not a checklist, and that you've watched people do everything you've told them to do, and still not end up thriving in life.
3: Absolutely, yeah, and there are a few um, corollaries to that that I think are really important that often get left out of the conversation. One is that I've come to understand health as an ecosystem rather than just an individual endeavor. And there's so many examples of this, but let's consider someone who grew up in the inner city and, you know, didn't have access to healthy food, was surrounded by air and water pollution. Is it If that person ends up developing a chronic disease, is that something that's fully in that person's control? Of course not. They are shaped by their ecosystems, some of which they had control over, but a lot of which in that case they didn't have control over. They didn't have a choice. And many people today still don't have as much choice as they would like over the factors that influence their health. In the research literature, this is, these are referred to as, as the social determinants of health. So there are things like the environment that we live in, the air we breathe, the water we drink, the social factors like levels of stress, poverty, all of that. And it's really kind of a, a it, it's a narrow viewpoint to assume that the individual choices we make are the only things that impact our health. That's just simply and objectively false. And it's even, it, it's it becomes more false for people who are disadvantaged, you know, economically or socioeconomically. So that's one thing that's worth pointing out. Another, it, it, on a slightly different track, is that um, we've learned over the past, there's been a revolution in the understanding of neuroscience in the past 40, 30 to 40 years. And one of the, one of the concepts has really shifted the way i think about health is called neuroplasticity so neuroplasticity is the understanding that changes in our thoughts behavior and our emotions actually change the structure and function of our brain so when you when when people are first exposed to this, it can sound pretty woo woo, you know. It can sound like, "Oh, okay, I'm just creating my reality all the time with my thoughts." And um, and I think people have a, a, understandably a, a, an aversion to that. But we're talking about hardcore neuroscience right now. These <laughs> these changes, when I say structural structural and functional changes in the brain, I mean changes that can be measured with an MRI or brain scan. like These are objective changes that can really be measured in the brain. And what we know now, and there's a saying for, uh, from this world of neuroscience, neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm-hmm. So what this means is that if, if, if you have any kind of habitual pattern of thought or behavior or emotion, the neurons that are associated with that pattern will get fired repeatedly right the more those neurons get fired the stronger the connections between them become and the and the and the bigger actually those neural pathways become and that can be imaged with a brain scan so an analogy i like to use is like a road system the, these habitual patterns of thought and behavior become super highways so it's way more likely that a nerve impulse is going to travel down that massive superhighway, whereas the less common or not non-habitual patterns of thought and behavior become like the side, side roads or even the dirt roads, and those are just going to be less traveled, and, and they're likely to be less traveled because of that. So it's a good news, bad news situation, because it means that once those habitual patterns are in place, they're far more likely to be perpetuated. Uh, and that's what explains how we get stuck in ruts. The The flip side and the good news is that studies, countless studies have shown that we can rewire the brain. And by shifting those patterns of thoughts and behavior, we can actually turn those dirt roads or side roads into bigger and bigger highways over time. And that's a core um, realization from neuroplasticity and and where this relates to, how this relates to what we've been talking about so far is that your patterns of behaving and responding to the world around you tell your brain what it should get good at doing. So if you spend all your time being sick or thinking about being sick and practicing being sick, you will actually train your brain to be very good at being sick. And I want to be clear here. I'm not suggesting that sickness is all in our head, there's not a physical reality to it. I'm not suggesting that when we're sick, it's our fault. Believe me, I've had that experience of being sick for very sick for a very long time. And I know what it felt feels like to be told that it's it's my fault, it's it's our fault. It's that's not what I'm saying here. But I am saying that if you took two people, for example, and they both had the same illness. And one person, you know, spent a little bit of time attending to their illness, like whatever time felt like it was necessary, but then spends the rest of their time doing work that they love, volunteering, spending time with their kids, having fun, living a great life, that's going to establish certain neural pathways in their brain that will become enhanced over time. Whereas if if the other person spends all of their time researching and reading about their, you know, what they're going to do about their illness, the next treatment, going to the next doctor, taking the next supplement, doing, you know, you know, really kind of take assuming the identity and in, in allowing that pursuit to take over their whole life, then those are the neural pathways that are going to be fired and those are those are that's that's going to have an outsized impact on their life experience and the way they experience themselves on a on a moment-to-moment basis so that was like a you know a huge mind and <laughs> altering uh realization for me both as someone who had experienced chronic illness myself and had actually learn to, to deal with it in this way without really understanding neuroplasticity at that point. And then as someone who supported hundreds of people through, through this process as well.
1: But, you know, I would love that you say this because, um, you know, we, we take this concept and we roll it into self-image a lot within WeShape and, um, you know, a simple habit that I feel like most people aren't even aware of is you walk past the mirror and you look at yourself and you go, look at that, this, and look at that, that, you start judging and criticizing yourself and you know one of the things that we try to start building awareness around is first have awareness that you're doing that second try to start replacing it with something new and building that new neural pathway so the old one can start fading away like look at yourself in the mirror and think of one thing that you appreciate about yourself even if that thing is hey i woke up this morning and my body breathed all night without me having to think about it right and i think that's such a powerful thing to um start bringing awareness to that you don't have to be stuck in these ruts but it does take time it does take repetition in order to um, create these new stronger neural pathways that will support you rather than keep you stuck feeling, you know, whatever it is that you're, you're struggling with. So um, I've heard you mention a lot of things so far in this podcast uh, about family and friendships and things that bring you joy in your work and stuff like that. But I'm curious if you could expand on any of the things that you might have discovered have, you know, really meaningful impact on people's experience in their lives that brings them to more closer to themselves and brings them more Joy and, happiness. and
0: before he does that, I want to make sure I, I'm really like digesting this concept. Um, what I think I hear you saying is that whether we know it or not, we're attaching to various uh, identities <laughs> and we're using our energy in different ways, whether we want to be mindful of it or whether we're just going to do it because we're habitually doing it. And I think what you're saying is that's happening no matter what and we have an opportunity to understand that that's happening and to take one step closer to more mindfulness around that in order to potentially have a shift in these neuropathways.
1: Hey there, if you're enjoying the WeShape podcast and you've heard us talk about WeShape before, then you're probably thinking to yourself, hey, what is WeShape? Well, at WeShape, we create personalized at-home workouts for every single one of our members. These are workouts where every single movement is customized to you to help you connect with your body and care for your body in a much more meaningful way. We also have a community of people there to support you, to help uplift you as you examine your beliefs, set new intentions, and again, start showing up for yourself as an act of self-care rather than trying to do your workouts as an act of self-judgment. And hey, if you're a fan of the podcast, we also do a live podcast discussion group on Zoom as well as other Q&As as well as free challenges for all of our members to help you get motivated to actually start taking action to caring for yourself so you can feel better in your body and about your body. So, if you want to try WeShape for free for two full weeks, go to WeShape.com backslash podcast, and you can get started today.
3: Yeah, I think that's a great summary. Uh, uh, there's a, a saying, what one of my uh, teachers, Sherry Huber, used to say that I really like and I think is applicable here, which is, the quality of our experience is determined by the focus of our attention. Hmm. The quality of our experience is determined by the focus of our attention. So if my attention, as someone who's struggling with a chronic illness, is always on the illness, what I'm going to do about it, how I'm going to respond to it, oh, why is this happening to me? You know, All, all of my thoughts and attention are going towards that, then that determines the, qu- my, the quality of my experience will be that, will be uh, largely defined by that. If, on the other hand, I'm able to shift the focus of my attention to other things that bring meaning and joy and fulfillment into my life. Like getting back to your question, Tyler, like I'm spending time with my daughter, um, and, and and my dog, even, you know, just the joyful joy that, that that brings. And, um, going outside for making a, a mountain bike ride. Even if I don't feel very well that day, I could take a shorter ride or an easier ride, or I could even just go for a walk around the block and feel the sun against my skin and really pay attention to the sensations that I'm experiencing on that walk. It's you know, sometimes called that a sensory walk. You know, just I had times when I was so sick that that's all I could do was walk around the block. But when I did, I would make sure... To pay as much attention as i could to all of the sensations that i had like maybe my gut was in incredible pain but was there another part of my body that was not in pain like even just the tips of my fingers or my hands or could i feel the sun against my forehead could i see could i hear the sound of the wind in the trees um could i hear the sound of kids playing like just shifting the focus away from the experience of pain and to the experience of pleasure and joy, as Sherry Huber's um, you know, as as that quote suggests, that shift in focus is something we always have a choice about. We may not have a choice about what's happening in our body in terms of pain or or, you know, even mental, you know, thoughts and emotions that are happening, but we can direct our attention toward things that bring us more joy and fulfillment. So you know, this will differ for everybody. I think there are some universal human experiences that, that most of us share. So, you know, uh, spending time with loved ones, friends, family members, pets uh, is, is meaningful and rewarding for most people uh, for spending out time, out time outside in nature. Um, there's, of course, a lot of, you know, everyone has had their own subjective experience of well-being related to that, but there's tons of research, too. It suggests that just even walking barefoot on the grass can have a profound impact on our well-being because it it connects us with our deep human roots. That's biologically hardwired into our DNA. Um, uh, Listening to music, you know, particularly music that is uplifting is important. Touch, Um, any, any other experience that brings pleasure, even just taking a hot bath, going in the sauna, feeling warm and comfortable. Uh, getting a massage, um, lying down and doing some deep relaxation. Um, you know, a simple yoga practice, like, uh, cooking, uh, you know, pursuing hobbies, playing music, like all, all the specific variations will differ, but the key thing is spending time each day where you intentionally and purposefully shift your attention to things that bring you joy. Um, and I used to actually write prescriptions for that to patients in my <laughs> clinic, I um, because I I feel like that's more important in many cases than even supplements or diet changes or, or medication. Like actually, here's your here's your joint prescription. And what I would have people do is write their own, is make a list of all the things that bring them joy that they're. That they're aware of and just put those put that on the fridge put it in their bathroom on the on the mirror put it in different places and then just choose two or three things from that list each day and they, they don't these don't have to be huge things and in fact they probably shouldn't be they should be just simple things like taking a walk around the block or you know doing five minutes of foot massage with your partner or, you know uh, something that you know is, is achievable even within the context of your busy daily life And when you gain the experience of doing that and the benefit that comes from that, you create an upward spiral. I like, you know, we hear a lot about downward spiral. You create an upward spiral where you're actually more likely then to do these things over time because you get the benefit of doing them on a smaller scale. And then you you just gradually build a life where these things are... um,
1: are habitual.
0: And I love the, I, the simple idea of like write down 10 things that bring you joy and just do a couple of things. Ad-
1: can we just, can we, can we have everybody write that prescription for themselves right <laughs> yeah. now? Go yeah. ahead and, and email your list, moment. right? Email your list to podcast at com. We want to see who's, who's going to jump in and, and write themselves a list of this and get started. So.
0: I mean, I think it's just, I think also one of my mentors had told me sort of like where your attention goes is where the energy flows, right? So it's like yeah. that idea of just what are you going to spend your time on? You're going to attach to something probably no matter what. So what is, what is it going to be? And what I hear you saying is it doesn't have to be complicated and it can be something really simple. And the more we put attention on those things, the more that energy is going to come. And right. it, it also reminds me, and I think I told you about this when we were at the birthday party, when our daughter got diagnosed with Lyme disease, I had a moment of saying, how will you communicate this with her? because the last thing I want to do is take this small child's mind and have her attached to the identity of this disease. And I told her, we have discovered that Lyme, there's a Lyme virus in your body. And uh, we're working with great people. And uh, you're an incredible healer yourself, Ellie. And so this is probably just going to be something that we treat for a little while. And then we're just actually asking it to leave and it's going to go. And I just never like really wanted her to attach to, I'm Ellie and I have Lyme disease. Because regardless if it stayed with her or it didn't, that identity I knew was not going to serve her. And um, I, we, we were able to have the Lyme go dormant, and we also had an, and, and I'm not saying that that's the case for everybody. And I have no scientific data to prove that my uh, psychological philosophy and in interacting with her was like, what made that happen? But I knew that regardless, I didn't want her to feel like that was who she was. And I think what you're saying is like, we all have a choice to decide the things that we attach to and that suffering is inevitable as a human being. And unfortunately, like it's the it's the it's the the question for me that is always like just why do some people have to suffer more than others? Right. Like, why isn't life fair? Like some of these, you know, why does this person have this disease and I don't and like that person doesn't like. I don't know that we'll really ever be able to answer those questions, but what I hear you saying is that we all have an opportunity to have an attitude that uh, shapes our experience of that suffering.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I just want to follow up a couple of things. On no one one is I I know that It's easy when I I imagine when some people are listening to this to have the, the, you know, one response might be, oh, so you're just telling us to ignore, you know, our symptoms, not pay any attention and, and just sort of like positive think our way out of this. That's, that's, I just want to be really clear that that's not what I'm saying. I, I don't think it's what any of you are saying.
0: Oh no, um, we we dealt with the Lyme disease symptoms for 2 years. It yeah. was there was that was yeah. there was no dis, there was no discarding that that was a real experience, right? I'm yeah. happy you're,
1: I'm happier saying this Chris because what I was going to say right there before you started talking was you know, I have had this awareness around, you know, what's the difference between an attitude of gratitude and kind of suppressing your feelings or needs or whatever you're actually experiencing in that moment and not showing up for yourself? Cuz I think people yeah. think of it as like Oh, everything's fine. I'll just think my happy thoughts, and like my situation will go away. But that's not necessarily the truth. So, anyways, I'll pass the mic back to you. I'm just happy that you're yeah. touching on this point.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's such an important one, um, and it's it's an area where I I've myself have gotten really hung up, uh, you know, occasionally over the years, and where I see a lot of people getting hung up. And what, one way I think about it, or is the difference between acceptance and submission. So those, those words are often used interchangeably, but I think they couldn't be more different. Mm. So acceptance is just the recognition of what is. All, all I'm doing when I accept something is I, I'm just recognizing the truth. Uh, so in, in using a personal example, let's say I have gut pain in a, mo- in a given moment. I recognize that I have it. I accept that I have it. Submission is giving up. The mission is, I see that this is happening, and I, I can never do anything. It will never change. I can never do anything about it. And then, so I'm just submitting to this. Those are really different concepts. Uh, and I, I think what happens, it's, it's inevitable when someone hears a conversation like this, they think, "Oh, you're just you're just saying we should just I should just submit to my illness and give up." on trying to do anything about it and make, make myself better in the future? Absolutely not. I'm, you know, as a functional medicine clinician, someone who specializes in helping people deal with these things and has been through my own illness, I'm 100% committed to finding, you know, to getting to a place where I feel as healthy as as I possibly can. What I'm saying here is that acceptance is required to make progress, in my opinion, it's not submission, but you cannot take appropriate action and make progress without accepting what is true in the first place. And where I see a lot of people get stuck is just a lot of struggle. And, um, you know, you were saying, Katie, it was like, why is this happening to me? Why am I the one that has to deal with this versus other people? that's a lack of acceptance that's that's a not being willing to accept the reality for what it is and that can stand in the way once I accept what is really happening then it's up to me how I'm going to deal with that and I actually with my patients and with my, in my own experience I've used this analogy of zooming in and zooming out like photography right so there were times in my in my journey where I really needed and wanted and had the energy for diving into like strict diet, taking a new supplement routine, a new treatment protocol, you know, the the like a lot of focus on addressing the the symptoms and trying to get to the root cause of the problem and and, and resolve that. And that's totally appropriate. But if all of my time is spent zoomed in that way i'm going to lose the bigger perspective that you get when you zoom out and what i found was that i had to alternate periods of zooming in and zooming out zooming out meaning like i'm going to actually soften my you know my focus on all of those things and i'm going to maybe start attending to other things like time more time with my family or you know picking up a new hobby or my work or things that other things that brought me joy and fulfillment. And that dance, like learning how to do that zoom in and zoom out, I think is really crucial, not just for people with chronic illness, but for anyone who's dealing with any difficult situation in their life. And last thing I'll say, Katie, is I'm really glad you brought kids into this because kids are maybe the best example of how, we naturally deal with an issue without any kind of identification or story or belief around it. Mm -hmm. Most kids, most kids don't have that. Like if they get sick, they don't have a whole story around that. Unless the parent has,
1: isn't it messed up? I was going to say when they start seeing your stories go into them, and you're like,
3: "Oh no,
1: <laughs> what have right. I done?"
3: I was going to say they don't unless we've given one one to them. But they're just dealing with it—the oh, pure experience of it, you know—which is often and and I've seen because I've worked with a lot of kids. I, kids are easier patients than adults, oh, yeah. often because of that. They don't have the identification. They don't have the story around it, and they're busy doing other stuff in their life and not thinking about it all the time so it's a really great example that you brought up
0: yeah i like this idea of kind of the zooming in and zooming out because um i think it does get really easy to zoom in and i saw this tiktok like a couple months ago i like to go on tiktok university a couple times a week and um there was like this image of like planet earth and then like them zooming out and you just like couldn't even see it at all and i was like yeah the idea that human beings are so significant and so insignificant all at the same time is always like <laughs> extremely fascinating to me.
1: You're a, you're a speck of dust yes. on this planet. And so, like, yet this is your whole world, right?
0: And so, like, I think sometimes when we are in a space of like suffering, maybe that is our first indication that that is an opportunity to to zoom out. Like, that's the clue, right? Like, I am stuck in something. Oh, I'm I'm stuck in. I'm I'm zoomed in. <laughs> And so I wonder if that's our first clue. And like, even on a business level, like, you know, having a startup company, I tell people one of the hardest things about being in the space that we are right now is that we have to be individual contributors. So zooming all the way in. And then we also have to hold the vision and the strategy for the business and zoom out. And that back and forth is a dance and it takes practice and it takes time and it takes trust and it takes a lot of things. But I think it can be applied to what you're saying as well. It's like if we've spent our whole life zoomed in, then it's going to take time and practice. So I want to encourage people that we're not just going to like develop this skill overnight. What you're talking about is a a, a muscle, a pathway in the brain that has to be practiced. that has to be worked, but it's always an option.
1: Can I take a counter argument to that too? Um, So, you know, I hear you saying that people, you know, submit and they, they get stuck. And I hear Katie saying like people get stuck in the unfairness and whatnot. And we're talking about zooming in to you know what your experience is and then having the capacity to zoom out. And I don't want this to be uh, misconstrued as an argument to not be able to do that. I think that's very important. But I think that a lot of people get stuck um, not zooming in enough sometimes to their experience as well. I think that people are afraid to experience their feelings around their situations. And you know, when I've processed this a lot in, inside myself and, and meditated on it, what I, what I come to, at least in my own world, is you know when we actually zoom in enough, we can find things that we can touch on. And for me, it starts with like, maybe it's anger or rage or unfairness or something, you know, this, this emotion like that. And if we actually zoom in on that enough and let it go, then all of a sudden we can feel sadness and we can get through that sadness and we start to feel something different. And then the sadness melts away and then we get to acceptance. Oh, interesting. Now we can get to acceptance, like this is what it is. And then underneath acceptance is compassion for self. And then underneath that, you're like, wow, I can actually experience joy again. And then you can focus on a new problem problem, and it starts all over again. So do, but, you, um,
0: do you think that you can't zoom out and hold space for your emotion at the same time?
1: Um, I think that that is sounds like a black belt practice to me. Um, sounds like a practice that you need to have a lot of time and experience on. I think I'm just trying to bring awareness to the reality that I feel like a lot of people are kind of afraid to zoom in enough to process an experience that they're having all the way fully
3: Well, let me let me let's make a distinction, between, and let me maybe just clarify what I mean by zooming in and zooming out. It's sure. Slightly different, I think. um What I'm referring to more in that in that analogy is where our attention is going, related to how we're dealing with a problem or a challenge in our life, yeah. but on a sort of practical level of like how we're approaching it. So, like let's say I have a chronic illness. Uh, I'll just use my own history as an example so there was a period you know early in my chronic illness where I was seeing lots of doctors I was t- trying lots of special diets I was doing lots of different treatment protocols and that felt totally appropriate you know it was where I was at it was it yeah you know, it just gotten sick and I, I was trying to figure out what was going on and trying to, and get to the bottom of it and, and and do something about it But after a few years of doing that was not you know having some results some positive results but not what i wanted it it became clear to me that just you know that definition of insanity right like just doing more of the same is is maybe not going to lead to the outcome that that i would like Mm -hmm. and so i actually purposely this is when i moved to esalen and met Forrest, by the way uh, Mm a mutual friend because and for those who aren't familiar with Esalen, it's a retreat center in Big Sur where there's a lot of emotional and psychospiritual like spiritual kind of workshops and work offered there. And and I lived there for two and a half years. I worked there. And my purpose in doing that was, hey, I've tried this zoomed in approach of like, you know, taking doing all these treatment protocols and seeing doctors and all of that. And it hasn't really created the results that I've wanted. So I'm going to zoom out and like, bring in some broader perspectives here, you what know, else like, is there? yeah, what else is there? Like, could I, what happens if I just turn my attention away from my physical illness, like the, the symptoms of the illness and, and really trying to like get rid of those and just like learn something new, <laughs> like, do, do, like meet a lot of new people and uh, live in this beautiful place and spend a lot of time outside in nature and just like relax the goal orientation and shift it to something else. But I would say, Tyler, that my intention, whether zoomed in or zoomed out, I think for me at least, the way I understand it, has nothing to do with my willingness to experience fe- my feelings and, and um, really welcome any felt experience that I'm having. Like, I feel like that's crucial in any. At any level of zoom, if you will, you <laughs> know whether we're we have a macro lens or a super wide angle, it's always important and, and even essential to be to be able to experience my emotions fully because that's actually what determines determines the whole experience of yeah you know, in in my moment to moment life.
1: Well, thank you so much Chris for clarifying the zoom in versus zoom out so that we can uh, be speaking the same language there.
3: Yeah, let me let me give you like a very specific real-world example. Yeah, I please. think this could be helpful. So, let's say um so a couple nights ago I had uh some gut pain. And this is like my history was a digestive kind of illness so like when I have symptoms still it tends to be gut related so I have that pain the first thing I do is of course notice that I'm feeling that pain and then inevitably there'll be some feelings or sensations or emotions related to that pain so it could be fear oh my gosh am I gonna you know is this starting again like i and then thoughts related to that pain like which, you know, that, is this gonna happen again? That's a story, that's a belief, that's a that's a thought pattern that can be pretty habitual that's related to fear. Um, But I have a choice in that moment, like or, or, or lots of choices I could make. So one is I could like get on the internet and start doing some research, like what's, what's going on here? Another, I could think about what I ate. Was it something I ate? Was it something I did? I could think about, you know, what what should i do should i take a supplement should i do something you know should i no, nothing is wrong with any of that right or another choice could be that i would lie down on the floor and just put my hand on my belly and do some breathing and rela- and, and some just relaxation and even send love to my to my belly just putting my hand on my belly or i could suggest to my daughter that we go and take a walk or take a bike ride, or I could go sit with my dog and rub my dog's chest. You know, like there's, all of those are totally appropriate responses, but they will all lead to a different experience. Right. Mm. And so I'm not saying that any of those choices are right or wrong. They all might be appropriate given Uh, where you are, where I am on my zoom in, zoom out, continuum. But if the choice is always to go into, oh my God, is this happening again? What does it mean? Did I eat the wrong thing? I'm going to get on the internet and see what diet I could do that's going to make this better. Like If that's always the response, that's when I see problems in myself and with my patients. And I think for a lot of people, that is always, or at least often,
1: the response. Mm.
0: I mean, it reminds me of what Nina says a lot. Uh Uh-oh. What does she say a lot? Which is, I want to be really clear about this because I think it can be misinterpreted, but uh, feelings aren't facts. Mm. Uh, Not to be confused with feelings aren't valid. Right. So feelings aren't facts when you say that. What I take from that is that doesn't have to drive a decision. And I think that's what you're saying. It's like you can have the feelings; those are valid experiences, but it's it doesn't have to drive the behavior.
3: I have a Absolutely. personal experience. I would say thoughts. thoughts thoughts are also. Not facts.
2: Yeah. Well, our <laughs> best that's man lead into is, like, I have a personal experience uh, with a friend who gives me a lot of wonderful advice, and I used to be, like, a health-focused, like, I have to research all the time, and I still do that sometimes. I definitely still reach I for that. Say, I say, Dr.
1: Google I usually... is, your fa- is your best friend.
2: But she asked me one time when I was kind of living in this fear and anxiety around something that was happening, she was like, are you feeding the wildfire in your mind? And I was like, oh yeah, big time. Yeah. Like this, <laughs> this behavior lit everywhere. This yeah. behavior is yeah. feeding the wildfire in my mind, which is feeding more of this behavior, which is then it's like again, we want to go on an upward spiral, not a downward spiral. Mm-hmm. And when she gave me that piece of information around like, does this behavior serve like the outcome you're hoping for? I was like, no, it's absolutely building anxiety, it's creating more distress. Um and and I kind of had to have a a zoom out, like you were saying, around acceptance of something to me, it doesn't mean you have to like it. It just means that it is. And I think for a long time, I was in this headspace of if I have to accept something, then I have to be like super cool with it. Like, great. This is so wonderful that this is happening. And that's not the case with acceptance. And and again, like zooming out of the, the wildfire in your brain, like, does this activity help you feel at ease at rest? Like, I don't know. For me, Googling my symptoms definitely does not help with that. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's a great, that's a great, I mean, that is kind of a great filter or uh, way of determining what is the best action for you in that moment. Will, will this lead to a greater sense of well-being? Sometimes the answer might be yes for right. you know, doing some research because maybe it's been a while since you did that or maybe you're just feeling really like you need help and support. So like doing some research to find a doctor or someone to work with actually will lead to a greater sense of confidence and well-being. But as you pointed out, you not know, often it doesn't often it's fueling the wildfire of the mind. And, and the same in Buddhist uh, um, system is the monkey mind, which is also a great analogy. You think of a monkey just like running around in our heads, just like throwing things and
1: throwing stuff <laughs> around. <in laughs> the <middle."
3: You> know? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's basically what our minds are often like, right? And we can objectively see that if we put it that way, that, It's preposterous for us to like feel like we have to believe all of those crazy thoughts and ideas, and that kind of frantic energy is not serving us. But when we're stuck in that experience, it can be more difficult, um, you know, to to have that separation and and see that clearly. So I love that filter of just what's going to bring me more joy and
0: peace in this moment,
3: and that's then that's your decision for. What you where you choose to put your attention from there.
0: Well, I know we're coming up on time, but I just want to say that I feel like this episode is going to be so valuable to our listeners, Chris, because a lot of people in our community are coming from that background of like, do the checklist, meet the number on the scale, do this thing. And I And I think you've really hit the nail on the head when it's like, wait a minute, we forgot a really, really important factor of like being a human being. So- I just want to thank you so much for your perspective and for your time. I have so much gratitude for you being willing to come and share your message with our, with our listeners. Yeah. Likewise.
2: I love what we the have, to have and the measurement, the health. Amazing.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I'm, what I'm excited about is just um, helping people to create more space in their life for joy and the just incredibly rich experience of being a human no matter where you're starting from like whether you feel great and are 100% happy with your health and, and where you're at or whether you are really like in the depths of struggling with a serious chronic disease or whether you're not happy with your weight the 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 message here is like it's it's in our power to experience joy and well-being no matter where we're at on that continuum and that's, that's something that we have a choice about no matter what else is going on. That's like the best news ever.
0: For me it's the this best news approach. ever. I feel hugely relieved. Yeah, like yeah. huge weight has been lifted. Yeah, <laughs> it is the best news ever. Well, thank you again, Chris. Where can people find you?
3: Uh, ChrisCrosser.com is where a lot of articles, eBooks, my podcast, all that stuff lives. And then adaptnaturals.com is the supplement line. So those are like that's joy yeah. in, a, in a capsule.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> and
1: remember, if you guys are actually struggling with anything health related, you go to Dr. Google and type in Chris Kresser after your question. And it that way work, it works it pretty good. It serves
0: me well. <laughs> uh, well, thanks again, Chris. We'll connect soon.
1: Thanks, Chris. Thank you all.
0: Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's show. Now, before you go, it would mean a lot to us if you could take a moment right now to subscribe to the podcast and then leave us a review. This helps spread the word so more people can feel lighter by shedding one belief at a time. Also, we want to hear from you. So if this episode impacted you or you have any questions that you think would be great for us or any of our future guests, please feel free to email us at podcast at and finally, if you want to try WeShape's different approach to health and fitness, remember that right now you can sign up for WeShape's Feel Good Challenge and get access to everything WeShape has to offer for free. Just click the link in our podcast description or go to weshape.com challenge to sign up.